to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Welcome again to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It's so good to be in worship with you here at the Modern Service. This is five years you've been hosting this service here in the gym. It's been a fantastic time to see how God has helped us grow. You know, RPC, we celebrated last week 184 years of ministry. If you missed out, uh, some of the other services, we have bagpipes, banners. It was a fantastic time. If you missed it, you can go and watch it as you can at all our services on the church website. But here tonight at 5 p.m., we're celebrating the fifth anniversary of what God is doing here through the modern service, reaching a, a whole new group of folks. And it's great to be a part of a church that cares about its tradition, cares about where it comes from, but is also looking to innovate and to change and to reform into who God is calling us to be and to become in the future. So come and join with us uh, tonight. We'll have food trucks, games, uh, bluegrass band. It's going to be a fantastic time. Today we continue our... Our generosity sermon series, we're asking people to prayerfully discern what God is calling you to commit to give financially in 2024. You can make those commitments in two ways. You can either fill out the commitment forms that are on your uh, seats where you're there, or you can go to roswellpress.org forward slash give, and you can make your commitment there. We're asking people to gather together as a community and do what you can to give to the ministry and mission of RPC. Well, today we're going to look at Nehemiah 5, and I'm, I'm a little, feeling the yips a little bit reading this. Do you guys know what the yips are? Like, you know, like in golf, if you miss like a two-foot putt, you start getting the yips. Every time you get a two-foot putt, you're going to miss. Well, at the 815 service, I was reading the scripture passage, and a bug attacked me. <laughs> I've never had it happen ever before. A bug literally attacked me, and now I've got the yips reading scripture. Verses 14 through 19, chapter 5. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took food and wine from them, besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Indeed, I devoted myself to the work on this wall and acquired no land. And all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 people, Jews and officials, beside those who came to us from the nations around us. Now that which was prepared for one day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also, fowls were prepared for me, and every ten days, skins of wine in abundance. Yet with all this, I did not demand the food allowance of the governor, because of the heavy burden of labor on the people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask in the next few moments, you might be our teacher, that you might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak that you might answer that great question, what's it all for? Lord, you might inspire us to serve in the way you've called us. 
Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon that I've always loved. It goes something like this. If there are, a teacher says, if there are no questions, we'll move on to the next, the next chapter. And Calvin says, I have a question. Teacher says, certainly, Calvin, what is it? And Calvin says, what's the point of human existence? The teacher said, I meant any questions about the subject at hand. Calvin says, oh, well, frankly, I'd like to have this issue resolved before I expend any more energy on this. <laughs> I've always loved this cartoon because it gets to the question of first principles. It asks us to step back from the rat race of life and ask, why are we doing all this again? Why are we putting in all of this effort? What's the point? What's it all for? Have you ever come to that place in your life where you ask questions of first principles? Why am I working so hard at this? What's the point? What is it all for? In our world, there are many answers and options available to us. The point is to make money. But how much money will ever be enough? The point is to get famous. But who's really going to remember me a thousand years from now? The point is to find pleasure. Well, like a, a diet based on ice cream, it's only going to leave you feeling sick. Have you ever gotten to that point in your life where you step back and you ask this question, what is it all for? I think Nehemiah is at this point. Nehemiah has had relative success in his life. Remember, he's in the land of Persia. He's an alien, but he's there as a Jew. And he rises to prominence, becomes the cupbearer of the king, the king of Persia. Picks out the wine, tastes the wine. He's a trusted confidant of the king. And then word comes to him that the walls of Jerusalem lay in rubble. And he is devastated. He's devastated. And he goes to the king of Persia, and the, the king of Persia, much to everyone's surprise, grants him leave, sends him with resources to go and lead the effort in rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah gets there, recruits the people, gives them tasks to do, comes up with the plan, and then he inspires them in the work. He says, each of you families, you're gonna build the part of the wall that's directly across from where you live. Go, we can do this. If we all pitch in, we can rebuild the wall. Let's serve the work. Nehemiah is a leader, but he's a servant leader. He has people under his command. He has people who listen to him. He's a man of authority and power. But the question becomes, how is he gonna use his influence and power? How's he going to use his authority? What kind of leader is he going to be? I've been blessed to be around a lot of great leaders in my life who've shown me how to use their gifts and resources for good. After I worked at the Boeing company, and I know you think I've had like a thousand jobs, but after I worked at the Boeing company, I worked at Pura Vida Coffee. I was selling wholesale coffee. It was free trade coffee. It was in the early 2000s. We were trying to teach people what the free trade movement was about. We charged a little more and passed on those extra profits to, to fund and pay the campesinos who, who harvested and raised the coffee beans a fair salary, a fair wage. 
And Pura Vida's slogan was, good coffee, good cause. And it was good coffee, and it was a good cause. The company got started in a really interesting way. There was these two guys, John and Chris, who went to Harvard Business School together. And after they graduated, they went in two totally different directions. John went into high-tech marketing, became the vice president of marketing at Microsoft that released the first Microsoft office. Chris went to Costa Rica and became a pastor. He served the at-risk youth there. Several years after this, they got together for vacation and sitting in some sunny locale, they were talking. And John was trying to ask, what can I do to help your ministry? They're in Costa Rica, what can we do? And they began to brainstorm. They came up with an idea. Why don't we start up a coffee company and we'll give all of the net profits to go to ministry to at-risk youth in coffee-growing regions of the world. They wanted to use their resources, not to bless themselves, but to serve and bless others. That's what they did. That company is still going to this day, sits in the shadows of the worldwide headquarters of Starbucks. When John could have just went on to enrich himself with more and more, chose to say no and say yes to a, a greater cause. It's a great example. How we can be people, we can be leaders. And Nehemiah is this kind of leader. He wants to build the wall. He subordinated his own desires to the work. To the work. I think he must have come across temptation as a leader. He could have come across temptation to enrich himself. This is what the leaders, the governors that had done before him. Listen to this in verse 15. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took food and wine from them, besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over them. We all know stories of leaders who get rich off their people. It may some, say something about our relationship, that when my wife is in law school, for her birthday, I gave her a book called The Psychopath Test. The book is a psychological analysis of leaders, business leaders, nonprofit leaders, yes, religious leaders. Finds out, concludes that psychologically speaking, many of these leaders are psychopaths. <laughs> One example it gives is of this CEO of a large corporation. To marginally increase the company's stock price, he shuts down a factory in this small town. It's the center of industry for this small town. Puts thousands of people out of work, hungry, unhoused, all just to enrich himself and his compensation. And the author concludes, this guy must be crazy. He must be a psychopath. But that's what a leadership often looks like in our world. I mean, you can go and read about Elizabeth Holmes stealing and lying raising thousands of millions of dollars in the book Bad Blood. Read about Jolo, stealing billions of dollars from the Malaysian people in Billion Dollar Whale. You can go and read American Kingpin about this young man who's a programmer, designs the dark web, where you can go and buy drugs and guns, assassins for hire, yes, even human body parts. 
all to enrich himself. I could go on and on. From Nehemiah's day to our own, there is this human temptation to acquire more at the expense of others. This temptation stretches across cultures, genders, income levels, religions, down through time. We think that by acquiring more, it will make us happy. But thousands of years of human evidence says this is not the case. And Nehemiah does not give in to this temptation like the governors did before him. Did you see why? Listen, verse 15. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took food and wine from them, besides 40 shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. But I didn't do so because of the fear of God. Notice how the fear of God, a theological feeling, leads to social action. Nehemiah knows that one day, like all of us, he'll have to give an account for his life. And he wants to be, have a pure conscience, serve the people. Because he fears God, he treats people better. Theological convictions have sociological implications. Nehemiah doesn't exploit the people like the leaders did before him because he knows that God has brought him to this place on a mission to rebuild the wall. He subordinates what he wants, how he can enrich himself because of the work. What's the goal? Why are we here? This is a question of first principles. What's it all for? I've heard it said that your budget, your personal budget, is really your mission statement. Shows what matters to you. I had a conversation this past week with a young person. She said, uh, your generosity season is so antiquated. I said, oh, really? She says, yeah, we all live on subscription models now. You should just get the congregation to sign up for direct withdrawal and then just let it be. Now, I'll tell you, if you would like to sign up for direct withdrawal... But what I had to tell her, and I'm going to remind you as I have to remind myself, when we're talking about money or our physical belongings, it's not just about wealth, and it's not just about funding the church, although it is about that, but it's a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. How am I attached to my stuff? Do I own my stuff or does my stuff own me? Do I have a tough time being generous? If I have a tough time being generous, I need to look and see that something's wrong with my relationship with God. Do we find it difficult to give? Well, then maybe we need to reevaluate our priorities. Do we spend so much enriching ourselves and not give to the mission of God? We might need to look in the mirror and ask why. It's a measure of priorities. Our budget is our mission statement. It shows what we care about. It's not what we pay lip service to. It's what we really believe in. And Nehemiah is not like those governors that have come before him. He's not acquiring for himself on the backs of the people. No, he's serving the people. He's leading the people in the work. He's here to do a job. He's got a goal. He's on mission. Everyone needs to do the work they're called to. We all have roles in the work of ministry. 
We have preachers, we have other pastors, we have choirs and bands and the congregation, we have Sunday school teachers and shadows for our exceptional children, we have those who deploy our resources and those who contribute to our resources. We all have to be a part of the work. But if we're honest, and I happen to know this to be a fact, there are many what they call free riders or freeloaders among us. <laughs> a number of years ago, I had the opportunity to meet and host Shane Claiborne, who's a well-known speaker. He was, wrote a couple, a couple books and uh, runs an intentional community up in Philadelphia. Cares a lot about nonviolence and service to the poor. Community is called The Simple Way. And after he spoke, we went out to dinner. And I asked him, I said, how do you, how do, you do the work? This is... It's got to be tough. He said, oh, it is. But the number one way, an important thing to do with the work is don't do it alone. Do it as a community. You got to be in it together. I said, that's great. But I've been around people and I know people. How do you keep everybody doing it? Or do you have any freeloaders, any free riders? He says, oh, yeah, all the time. He said, so, that, so much so that in the kitchen of our house, he told me he, he hung a sign. It says, everyone wants to change the world, but no one wants to do the dishes. We're all called to do dishes. We're all called to pitch in and get our hands dirty, to contribute to the work of ministry and mission here at RPC. RPC, when we do our generosity season, it's an invitation to contribute in your own way. I say it again and again. We can't do everything, but we can do something. What is that something we're called to do? And if we all do something, we can make a huge impact in our world. We can be a part of God's grand purposes to change the world, but we have to see how our little actions contribute to God's movement around the world. One of my favorite memories of working at Pura Vida Heard when I was talking to the CFO of the company, his name's Greg. And Greg had been an executive at IBM for many years. Eventually he pivoted out, got into the coffee business, and came to work at Pura Vida. At the time, I knew that there was a, Greg had been recruited to go and become the second person at Jiffy Lube, the company. It was an impressive job of some prestige. I said, Greg, how come you didn't take the job? He says, well, Jeff, it came time I was about to take the job. And I was flying to Houston, Texas to go and find a, a house for our family. And John, the CEO of the company, said, Greg, I'll, I'll take you to the airport. So he did. So John's driving Greg to the airport. They get to the airport. Greg's in a hurry, grabs his bag, shuts the door. And John rolls down the window. He says, Greg, remember the Jiffy Lube slogan? Well, Greg was kind of confused. And then John says, we don't want to change the world. We just want to change your oil. Greg ended up staying at Pura Vida. He forwent a lot of wealth he could have earned. But he had. He had that already. What's going to make him happy? He was, how can I serve and be a part of what God is doing in the world? 
Contributing to the mission and ministry of Roswell Presbyterian Church is your small way in contributing to what God is doing in the world. We all have a role to play. Some of us are Nehemiahs out there leading the work. Some of us are bricklayers, one brick at a time. Others of us are constructing bricks. Some of us are going and gathering and bringing the resources to make it happen. The question is, what are you called to do? And in answering that, you'll answer the question, what's it all for? Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for this great church we're a part of, this great mission that we are invited and called into. Lord, I pray that we might all do our part in being a part of your grand purposes for the world. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.